0: Another week, another episode of Startups to the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Rob Walling. And in this episode, I talk with Matt Wensing, the founder of Summit, about his long journey, multi-year journey, finding product market fit. While I'm not recording a series of podcast episodes about uh, product market fit, this does remind me of, of Ruben Gomez's episode, maybe, what, four or five ago, where he talked about The long journey to finding it and then finding it with a certain subset of customers and certain features and then realizing, oh, the API is a completely different product I now have to find product market fit for. And in this episode, Matt Wensing and I just talk about his journey with Summit over the past, I think we talk about in the episode, it's like four years, four plus years of building talking to customers, launching, finding out he kind of hit the mark, made some revenue, found out that wasn't the right tool. So then he went back to zero, basically, and, and started again building new features. You might know Matt from Twitter or from his podcast that wrapped up just a few months ago called Out of Beta. Before we dive into that, applications for TinySeed are opening on February 12th and close on February 25th. If you're not familiar with TinySeed, it's the accelerator I run for ambitious, mostly bootstrapped B2B SaaS founders. Even if you're interested in applying outside of the window of February 12th to February 25th, you can join our mailing list to be notified when applications open again. Visit tinyseed.com slash apply to get on the mailing list or to apply. I want to invite you to Microconf Remote early-stage SaaS sales strategies. It's an online event we're hosting March 12th and 13th of 2024. It runs from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern Time on those two days, and there will be sessions all focused on early-stage SaaS sales led by Rachel Liao, Craig Hewitt, Daniel Ebert, Sam Howard. I'll be emceeing, and we're going to cover strategies to boost your close rate, build a sustainable sales process, and figure out how to overcome the challenges of selling as a technical founder. We'll also have daily founder mixer sessions where you'll get to meet other attendees to network and chat about what you're working on. Tickets are inexpensive and they are available at microconfremote.com. So, with that, let's dive into my conversation with Matt. Matt Wensing, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Rob great to have you, man. So last time, I think you've been on the show two or three times, but last time was in November of 2022, episode 633, titled Building SaaS Plus a Two-Sided Marketplace. And in that episode, we talked through how you started Summit, was originally SimSaaS, and it was a SaaS simulation and forecasting tool. You renamed it to Summit, which is a really good call, by the way, Use Summit.com if folks want to check it out. Then you pivoted or narrowed focus or whatever you want to call it into low-code calculators, simulations, forecasts. Then you were calculators for sales and marketing, I believe. And today, your H1 is everything you need to start scoring leads. And you have just tried, it's been like what, three years, four years? And you've traveled a lot of H1s, sir. <laughs> so that's what I want to talk about today is how you're feeling about where you are, how how it's working, how it's been, how it's going.
1: Yeah, that's great. Uh, I love that, traveled H1s. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, and I'd like to see, I'd like to think that the Wayback Machine would be an honest way to look at everyone's H1s through that light. It's a fa- favorite thing of mine, but it's been a while. And during the last, I guess, call it 14, 15 months uh, since we last talked on this show, we have really done two things. First of all, we added sales and marketing as our target market. Sales and marketing are gigantic. I mean, each of those words contains millions of people and, and hundreds of job titles. <laughs> I would say we're even more focused in marketing now. And what we learned in 2023 was shortly after uh, we talked, I started doing sales and selling really to those teams that we had found in the sort of early days of figuring out sales and marketing as a use case or target market and working with them, just realizing that what we were doing was relatively high touch. It was working with some pretty strong brands, ConvertKit, et cetera, that have pretty robust marketing teams. And when they do things, you know, it's a project. And they take it on as a project. And that just means that there's a lot of collaboration needed, a lot of conversation, et cetera. And so in that sense, what we had was a good fit because it was this broad platform for sales and marketing, as it said, calculators that are low code, no code, you can build them without an engineering, you know, deployment or degree. And that was a really great fit for that sales motion. But what we decided at the end of the year, and this was just a short, you know, three months ago now, was we looked back at 2023 and said, okay, we've done this work for these clients. We want more customers and we want to acquire more customers more quickly. How do we do that? And that meant we wanted to reopen self-serve. And we, what we found was just this broad, broadly appealing, broadly positioned and broadly expressed platform It was perfect for those sales, again, and those conversations. But when you come to a website and it says that if you go through self-service, it's not really clear what you're getting. It's not really clear what's on the other side. So we really needed to really pick a lane to run in for self-serve to be viable.
0: So that was just a few months ago. And I guess how how is it Because everything's an experiment until it's not. Right, and yeah. so, like, how's yeah. it going today? How do you feel about the h one? how do you feel about the move back to self-serve in terms of growth in terms of your confidence in that decision?
1: Yeah, so what we were trying to fix, maybe we'll talk about that what we were trying to fix ultimately was a top of funnel challenge, I would say, and what that meant was to and we and there's a lot of ways to solve that, right so so in some sense we just said, hey, we can just tweet more, buy ads, LinkedIn, whatever it is, we can get the name out there and we can send people to the site. But then it was sort of, then what? And so we didn't have a lot of confidence that if we invested in those grow the funnel activities that people would come to the site and they would have this eureka moment around, I know what this is. I know what it's for. In fact, I was kind of thinking about wanting one of these, you know, it wasn't an existing product category. That's how some people would put it. And so by choosing an existing product category which is lead scoring now, we solved a bunch of problems that really I think would have wrecked the ship if we had opened up self-service without doing that. And that means that what we're seeing now is, okay, people come to the site, they comment on our posts on LinkedIn, you know, saying, I know what this is sort of thing, and and this is really cool, and I like this. And they, they tag their sales team member in on it and say, hey, you know, we were just talking about this. That's really exciting. And we've had... Enough people go through the onboarding, at least in the first. We just announced this, I think January, let's call it 15th or so ish. We waited for Christmas. So we launched it literally three or four days before Christmas. We uh, didn't tell anybody because it's like not when you want anybody either filing a support ticket or struggling to onboard themselves. But we also didn't want to come back to, I mean, you you know, the feelings like coming back the first week of January to an unfinished project is just a terrible thing. So so we got it out there. And it's been live. It's been announced for about a week. We've had a few dozen people I'll share go through the onboarding. And we are learning, you know, where they stop, where they continue, etc. Now we also have a seven-day trial. So very early in terms of data. But so far, the data is this. People come to the site, they click the try it free button, they start going through the onboarding. And that's awesome because that that wasn't happening before. And so now it's like, okay, great. We have some volume coming in. Now it's an optimization game or a what's broken game or a leaky bucket problem, whatever you want to use to say, let's get them all the way through now. And, and now I'm kind of in a world, you know, it's funny. We've known each other for a while, tiny seed batch one, right? And so in a lot of ways... Now that we have this existing product category and people are coming and they're coming through our funnel, in some sense, a lot of the advice that I was hearing my batch mates get in the first batch of TinyC, where they're like, oh, you know, got this many people signing up, but this many people are completing whatever, what do I do? Like. That's all very relevant for us now, <laughs>
0: you know, in some sense. <laughs> and that's the perfect time for people to join Tiny Seed is yeah. once they have a little bit of interaction. Like you were in batch one and we took some flyers. We backed people. You were one of the early, like you didn't even have a product <laughs> in market, I don't think. And, no. and what we realized pretty quickly is, A, it takes a lot longer than we all think, right? You thought you'd have product market fit in six months and it's, you know, a few years later. And then we, as Tiny Seed, like the advice I can give, I can give someone an early stage advice, but it's like, what's the advice? It's like go learn stuff until f- you figure it out. And once you figure it out, and you're at five grand a month, maybe six, seven, eight grand a month, like Tiny Seed, I think is is really designed for that stage, which is why we do that. The SaaS playbook is. written for that as well. It's like, you have some customers, you have a loose, loose product market fit, and you're trying to strengthen it, right? And that is the more, I can be really prescriptive at that point. Stuff before that, I have this whole book, it's like 30,000 words written, it's called like Idea to Launch or Idea to Traction, something like that. But it's a lot of kind of like, and then you have to go with your gut feel and you, you, there's a founder vision that you then have all this noisy noise yeah. coming at you and you're trying to figure out which of these do I listen to? And it's it's hard decisions with incomplete information, like really incomplete.
1: Yeah, so so that's the data side. You know, empirically, I don't have results that I'm going to uh, be doing backflips about. Um, we we are It's not sales zero. You know, we have some trials going on, uh, which is great. But the bigger thing is that as a team, <laughs> and, and maybe this is more of like founder CEO hat on, for the team to have that clarity around, okay, this this is the initial sort of killer app or use case that we're bringing to market. We can run that prescriptive playbook, if you will. We can look at problems and and we don't have to question like, well, maybe this, maybe no one in the world needs this, right? Like that's a very sick thought to have or it makes you sick sort of thought to have in the early days when you're like, I just don't, I don't know if people even want this thing. So to, to have that in the rear view, I would say is the most is the biggest benefit. Yep. And and honestly, now the only thing that comes up is people, past customers or people who've heard the story before will go, wait, 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 wait. I, th- I thought you were way broader. I thought you did way more than that. And I have to just tell them, and I'll use this podcast as, as an opportunity to say, we still have all that, <laughs> but we just realized that if that was the front door, people were just gonna stand
0: there and go, wow, I don't even know where to begin. And that's, that's not good. Right, and niching down to either roles like you said marketing or sales or niching down to use cases yes is like because of the, the paradox of choice or even the paradox of understanding of like how do I, I come to the website i read the h1 and i'm like that's not a category i don't understand what is this and then yeah. i have to read your h2 and then i have to read your th- and like that is not that's like death you know yeah. because people aren't going to spend the time to understand it
1: exactly so, so and i think what you get is when you're very broad you get people who are just, I'm willing to try anything. So, you know, music is a fun category. It's like, imagine if you were like, we help you create awesome music. If that was your H1, you're going to get some like cool kids, if you will, to try out whatever the heck it is, because they're musicians. But it's not until you say like, oh, we improve like the quality of your audio track specifically at this frequency or whatever. It's like, okay, now the mainstream who uses Ableton Live and all these other things, GarageBand, they're like, oh, I know where that fits in, right? And I actually, I need one of those. And then, you know, go back to Wayback Machine, and I love this. Look look at WP Engine, great example. They're like the experiential platform for blog hosting on the internet now or whatever. But it, but back in the day, it was, safe, fast and secure WordPress, you know, hosting. And I think they might have even gone back. But like, you know, they had to be narrow to start. I think we all have to be narrow to start. We were broad to start to find our narrow, if you will, to find that use case. And then we had about four days of meetings in Q4 and said, you know what, this use case makes a lot of sense. Let's, let's go all in on that. And so far, so good.
0: So there are definitely people listening to this right now who are where you were 6, 12, 18 months ago, which is, I've launched something and it's not getting the traction that I want fast enough. And like people don't quite get it. And there's a hundred different paths you could go down. There's 20 different things you could try. You have customers telling you stuff. You have advisors telling you stuff. You have your own gut. You have team members. You have all, I, I said it earlier, noisy noise, which is a dumb phrase, but you just got a bunch of noise and a bunch of shit coming at you that you have to like filter and then make decisions. So how did you do that? Because I've talked, I've done a couple talks about this, about it's hard, it's, it's, It's very fuzzy and I like to hear different people's takes on it because much like product market fit, everyone seems to have a different (laughs) definition of it. Everyone seems to have a different approach for what you've been doing, you know, for the past couple of years. So what was your process like and who did you listen to and how did you know who to listen to?
1: Yeah, we started out the year I would say customers, obviously, number one. And that came from, I would say there are actually times to not listen to your current customers. And I say current under underlying current, because those customers are not the ones that are going to get you to your dreams or where you're trying to go. Forget dreams, the next milestone. It's like, Oh, shoot, we've got to change customer base. We didn't have to do that. So so we got to say, great, whatever we're hearing from customers, obviously, they're humans, we have to deal with the fact of their current priorities are not tomorrow's. And it's all changing. But We got to read between the lines, do a good job of interviewing them, really understand how they work. And being in Slack channels with a dozen or more customers all year last year, I learned a ton about how marketing is being done in 2023 (laughs) and now 2024. So that helped. And then I would say the other thing we did, and I'm just going to add, there's a wide variety of, of frameworks and ways you can think about this. The one that really helped us here was follow the workflow. So what we found was it was, okay, we're building lead magnets for people in a high touch way. They're using our platform to build these magnets. We're helping them. It's a mix. It's high touch. What we really said after that is like, okay, we we know we want to launch self-service. We know this, we want this to be turnkey. Let's follow the workflow. And what happens after a lead gets captured by a lead magnet? Like what's the very next thing that people want to do with it? And we so oh well they have to triage they have to qualify it, right? Is this a good lead? Is this a bad lead, etc.? So for us, it was sort of like it's just the next step in the workflow. For us is where we found this. And then and then we started to look at that. Okay, okay, is that universal? Is there a is there an app there? Is there a use case? Oh yeah, lead qualification. Oh, is there a mathematical component to that? Because we're the calculator, we're all these calculators. Oh yeah, scoring. Well, shoot. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like it's kind of like right there. And then the more we asked, we're like, okay, existing category, it's kind of sleepy. Meaning it's, I like to say it's the Baltic Avenue of the Monopoly board. It's not the boardwalk or the park place where there's just like, obviously it's super fancy and everybody's in on it. It's super competitive. It's kind of like, okay, yeah, it's a category, but it's not like super competitive. So it felt like also a step in the workflow where we could bring a better product to market and stand up well in any kind of comparison with other products that are out there. Differentiation, all that. So I would say the three things, really customers understand their workflows, following those, to a step in the journey that was adjacent to us, and then saying, can we compete at this step? Right. And once we said we could, we were like, okay, that's really cool because that, that step is actually very narrow. It's it, by, by comparison to build a lead magnet from scratch, which is like a no code exercise of a blank canvas. This is, hey, I've got an email address and I need to turn it into a score from zero to 100. And everybody basically needs to do the same thing. And the only difference is you have a different definition of an ideal customer than I do. So you're like, okay, that has like a nice scalability to it. So in this case, it was following the workflow. Um, in other cases, it's a different tool. That's why these things are fun. It's like, just have a toolbox full of these ways of looking at it.
0: And so lead scoring, if folks aren't familiar with that, can you tell who uses that and, and what, it, you know, what the purpose of it is?
1: Yes. So this was another interesting thing. There's actually two things people think about when it comes to lead scoring. First is kind of the traditional definition. If you, if you have HubSpot or something, and you look at an article that says how to do lead scoring or close partner of ours, you'll see an article that says, hey, somebody came to your website, they sign up for a, a webinar, that's 10 points. They download an ebook, that's five points, et cetera. And you build a score based on the behaviors of visitor or prospect, right? And that score just grows over time, right? The other one is what we just hinted at, hey, Rob comes to my website, I need to know if Rob is a qualified prospect, should I even reach out to Rob? Is he worth my time? Just based on what data is in Clearbit or what data the world knows about Rob. And so Summit offers both. So we can both take an email address, and you define your ideal customer profile, we kind of match them up and we say, hey, Rob is a great fit, Based on what you're looking for, actually, Rob is not who you're looking for because it's a Gmail address, and or you know he works at a he works at a massive company, and you're selling to SMBs, whatever it is. So I like to put those on two axes. One is behavior scoring: is Rob acting like he has the intent to purchase something? And the other one is just persona fit scoring: is Rob the shape of person we're looking for? And obviously, the best case is high intent, high fit, and then you can kind of think from there:
0: you know, low intent, low fit. And I'm familiar with lead scoring because we built it into Drip. It was a feature for us. and it. But it wasn't like this. So you actually go out to Clearbit and you augment the leads and then you get job titles, this and that. Since we were an email marketing platform, we basically did it based on folks' interactions with your website because we had JavaScript on your site, how many emails they opened and clicked. And you could define, we had predefined lead scoring of like, hey, for every open, it's one point added. And for every click, it's three or whatever. But you could then go in and change that. So it was pretty confusing but that's different that's activity based lead scoring it said nothing about your ICP it's just there really into what you're writing that's that's what we had right and we had planned to go out and augment and we just we never got there it wasn't important enough for us so but the reason I bring that up is it was a feature of drip and I'd imagine it's a feature of CRms or hubspots or salesforce I don't know I've never used it but i'm sure it's I'm sure it's in them so how are you thinking about that as this is your whole product is lead scoring, but it can be a feature of other, is there danger there?
1: Yeah, there is danger there. And I'll, I'll, I'll say that if our company, if we didn't still have that broad platform in the background, this would be a risk, right? And the risk is I raise venture money, we raise venture money, we're going big. I don't think you can build the kind of scale company that I want to build Based on just this product category, which as you said, is for many people as a feature. Now there are companies that are out there, competitors, you can look them up. If you type in lead scoring, you're going to see a lot of their ads where they're charging 500 bucks a month, a thousand bucks a month, $3,000 a month for lead scoring. And frankly, we're doing kind of the same thing for a lot less and more scalably because we have that benefit of releasing something recently and all the modern tech that you get to bring to bear on the problem. So it is a category. It's not just a feature but it's pretty small in terms of it is not a venture scale category. So if somebody came to you and said, "Hey, I want to build an entire company or lead scoring and I want to raise 5 million bucks, that doesn't make sense. It's not big enough, right? But given our goals as a company right now, the way I talk about it internally is, "Hey guys, you know, we want to be a plat- we are a platform. But, you know, what what good is a platform without a killer app or game or use case, right? And I said, you know, up until now we've basically been the Hey, here's a PlayStation. And we also include this ability to build your own PlayStation game. And you're like, very that few people like want fun. that, yeah. right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, that's not fun at all. Right? <laughs> it's, it's like, and, and some people think it sounds extremely fun. And right. that, that's like the 0.0001%. Yeah. And then yeah. 100%, 99% repeating of people go, I, I was looking for a, a game I could just play. Like, I'm just looking for fun. So I said, look, we're selling our first game. We hope this is a killer game it's in, it's bundled into the platform, it's like the cartridge that comes included, and that's enough you know we think we can sell enough of that game if you will, to drive enough console sales to extend the metaphor to get ourselves the revenue milestone we have next, right, and that means that, hey, when we get to that milestone, it's sort of like, hey, what game do we want to create next? Do we want to create something completely different, probably related, but you know then we can branch out, but the risk would be yeah hey, this is the whole platform is about this, and fortunately, we didn't have to do that. Believe it or not, the lead scoring product, if you will, is literally just an app that we built using our own platform and technology. So when you get a license or a subscription, you'll see that app suddenly show up in your own library of things and it'd be like having a file included with figma or you know a song included with iTunes or whatever it just it just comes with, and uh that means that we really the product itself to build probably took two or three weeks using our own platform. What took a lot longer it was a lot more work was the marketing and the messaging and the positioning <laughs> to, to narrow that focus.
0: Finding the perfect software engineer for your team can feel like looking for a needle in a haystack and the process can quickly become overwhelming. But what if you had a partner who could provide you with over 1,000 on-demand, vetted, senior, results-oriented developers who are passionate about helping you succeed and all that at competitive rates? Meet Lemon.io. They only offer hand-picked developers with three or more years of experience and strong, proven portfolios. With Lemon.io, you can have an engineer start working on your project within a week instead of months. Plus, you won't waste your time on candidates who aren't qualified. Lemon.io gives you easy access to global talent without scouring countless job boards, and it's more affordable than hiring local talent. And if anything goes wrong, Lemon.io offers swift replacements, so it's kind of like hiring with a warranty. If you need to grow your engineering team or delegate some work, give Lemon.io a try. Learn more by visiting Lemon.io slash startups and find your perfect developer or tech team in 48 hours or less. As a bonus for our podcast listeners, get a 15% discount on your first four weeks of working with a developer. Stop burning money. Hire devs smarter. Visit Lemon.io slash startups. And so you, how big is your team for context? Three. Okay, so you're pretty small and lean then, and you, you've mentioned that you've raised venture and you want to go venture scale. I want to call that out because, I don't know, 80 plus percent of the listeners are folks who want to bootstrap, and probably about 80-75%, and 20-25% are open to raising some kind of funding, uh, at least according, I think it's the state of independent SaaS where we, where we asked that. But even most of those would do more of a tiny seed round or an angel round and, and don't want to go venture scale. But there are, there's that 1% or 3%, you know, folks who want to go venture. I want to call that out because if you're listening to this and you're thinking about bootstrapping, this is a tough path to go down to build a big platform. And y- like you have different goals than someone who maybe wants to exit for 10 million, right? Yeah. And so you want to go, like you say, venture scale, and it means like, no, this is 100 million, this is a billion, you no, know, whatever it is, a huge number. What, brought you to that decision? Because you bootstrapped your first company. We've talked about that here on the show. You had a, an eight-figure exit. Congratulations, sir. <laughs> and so why in this new one, you know, you took tiny seed funding in the very first batch, and then you've raised one or two rounds, I believe, um, from venture. What, what was the impetus for you to make that decision? Yeah,
1: I <laughs> I, 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 think I practically swore off uh, the idea of venture when I first left my last business. Right? I, I think a lot of people do because they go through and they go, wow, it wasn't a short journey. A lot of stuff happens downstream of it. I think with certain investors like yourself, like with Bryce Roberts, you know, who have more of a revenue focused mindset, fortunately, you can actually leave a lot of that thinking, let's say, behind. But for me, it was, okay, I'm just going to build this thing. And the more I investigated the market, and the more I built to address what I found, I, I sort of found that, that gap and I realized this gap is actually really, really big and it's very horizontal. And, and so now actually when I, when I look at it, I go, okay, we're solving lead scoring, which is a mathematical problem in the marketing space, if you will. But the need for math in the marketing space is kind of endless, right? Like it, it, and so it's this, it's this really thin layer that just goes out forever, if you will. And I really spent the first several years of this. Well, I say I spent the first six to 12 months of this going, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that again. I'm just going to do the, just going to have my little, you know, nice little shoe store in the corner or as, you know, others like say, my nice little Italian restaurant, which is a coffee shop. That's what we're going to do. But then I found this thing and it was really broad and horizontal. And I, so then I, but then it it took, it took raising venture capital and it took years of market discovery to figure out, okay, how big is it? No, really how big is it? Who needs it? Where do they need it now? And and really to, to kind of deliver something to the market that can create revenue today, but still holds on to that big vision. I think that's the challenge, right? Of going the venture path in 2024, even is unless you're gonna be the raise gobs of money and you know, zerper, or this doesn't matter, I think that's gone. <laughs> I think the real challenge even the venture folks have now is, how do I have a gigantic vision, but then ship something quickly that gets to revenue quickly? And that's a whole different muscle, right? Now, we we know how challenging that is. Doing both is, it's very hard. (laughs) It's very hard.
0: And I want to call out that you have raised venture. And when people hear that, usually they think scale up, hire a bunch of employees, right? That's uh, usually the path for it. You have not done that, and in fact, if you had, you probably would have run out of money, right? I mean, the odds oh, yeah. are pretty, if you'd scaled yeah, up yeah. to 10, 15, 20 employees too early, that's the problem. With So some people say, well, don't raise funding too early, and I say, "But you can raise it early, just don't scale up too early. Because if you're still trying to find product market fit and you're still kind of narrowing or pivoting or you know, whatever term we want to use for it, and you 're at fifteen or twenty people, and you have to just reorient the Titanic every six months it's not even that many people, but fifteen versus three way, way, d- way different world's apart right? yeah
1: I, I I agree. We stayed small I mean the most we 've ever had is uh you know four people, which was contractors and a couple employees working on it, and that has allowed us to explore this market opportunity for years it 's allowed us to build a technology a, a no code platform from scratch, which you know you just just takes time it's not even just that it takes time to write the lines of code it's knowing what lines of code to write based on the market <laughs> and there is no one source of information out there that you can just go to get all the answers and then build the thing to spec in 3 months and so the bigger the opportunity you kind of need more time to steep in market and in those conversations and ideas to figure out where where is it really because when we go in we want to go in we want to go all in but we got to be really sure. And I think the going all in part is just like you said, you hire enough people, you've basically created this complex system of scaling that back is super hard. Like imagine you have 10 or 15 people and you're like, I don't even know if we can reduce this to two or three people at this point. Because I don't know how to do seven of the things that are being done by other people. You know, it, you've know, you created, unfortunately, this thing where you 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 remove one. Or a large enough chunk, and the whole thing just kind of implodes, right? And and that's where these companies get. It's it's not like when you have a thousand employees, you can suddenly scale it back to uh, a hundred and and still keep going. Like you can very easily set off a a, a spiral, right?
0: And so we've talked a little bit about ICP. You use that phrase, ideal customer profile. Who is yours today? Like if someone's listening to this, because we have marketers who listen to this, sales folks, we got developers, we got whatever. But if someone's thinking like, well, is Summit kind of is Summit something I could use, whether it's your day job or, you know, in, in their own company, who do you think it's ideal for?
1: Yeah, uh, this is ideal for a company that is investing already pretty heavily in customer acquisition. So if you're still, you know, not really doing that or your founder-led sales, I don't, I don't think, I think when you're doing founder-led sales, you're sort of just, I'll talk to anybody <laughs> right here at that stage. Beyond that, you get to the point of saying, we're acquiring leads. And I'll give you an example, ideal customer who is a customer of ours already, that I was talking to yesterday, they're spending a good amount on paid acquisition. And they're essentially, if you want to look at buying leads, buying email addresses, to not have a quick and easy way to qualify those at scale, so you're getting hundreds a month, thousands a month, you are going to waste resources in outreach, phone calls, discovery calls, et cetera. And you might be like, oh, what what does an email cost you? Well, even even emailing an unqualified lead costs you something because it's not just the penny it costs to send it or whatever, the micro pennies. It's the, this is spam, this is irrelevant. I'm not interested in this or even just somebody wasting your time with a call. So it's companies that are, I would say, acquiring customers pretty aggressively in terms of paid acquisition or they have a lot of inbound organic and they want to give VIP treatment to customers that are just phenomenal opportunities, but they no longer have time to kind of, you know, you get a trial sign up and you're at that stage, where you get a trial sign up and you're like, Ooh, I'm going to go type in that web address and I'll look them up on LinkedIn. You kind of do this manual little grunt work to like figure out who this is. And you're like popping champagne. Cause it's somebody that's actually, you know, a, a big logo. You don't have time. You can't do that anymore when that doesn't scale, <laughs> you know, then you're a good fit for this. And you get to the point where you're like, I have more email addresses than I can do that lookup for. I wish I had a way to just start to again, sift through these and figure out which ones are worth my time, right? Worth a a personal touch. And I think these days with automation and AI and all the, you know, it's even more valuable than to give that personal touch to people who are really great fit. And that's who we're a great fit for. So I would say, put it in numbers perspective, scaling up, right? So million plus ARR probably Sales hires have been there for a while. You kind of know what you're doing. And now you're gr- investing in SDRs or, or customer acquisition lead gen to get more people in the door.
0: Matt Wensing, thanks for joining me on the show, man. People want to keep up with you. You are on Twitter, x.com slash Matt Wensing. I don't call it x. I call it, I'm going to call it Twitter until like, because they still redirect. I just want to type and x.com and it goes yes. to twitter.com. So I'm like, no, it's still Twitter. I'm not changing this thing. The, right. the icon, you know, what tripped me out is on my iPhone, you know, to, to get to Twitter, you pull it down and you, now if you search for T W I T T E R, it doesn't show up. You have to type in <sighs> X. So they've, they've done it on the iPhone already. And I'm waiting for the internet to get out of my checked. cold, dead hands. I know. That's how I feel. Anyways, <laughs> man, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me, Rob. And once again, use summit.com if folks want to check out Summit. Thanks to Matt for joining me again this week. And thanks to you for coming back this and every week. As a reminder, I published a book middle of last year called The SaaS Playbook. It is selling really well. It's about to hit 20,000 copies. I'm pretty stoked about that. If you haven't bought The SaaS Playbook, you can buy it directly from me, sasplaybook.com, or head to Amazon. And if you have bought it and you've read it and you think it's worth a five-star review on Amazon or Audible, I would really appreciate it. It helps more people find the book. It helps me continue to drive my mission forward of multiplying the world's population of independent self-sustaining startups. And it helps keep me motivated to keep writing books and keep producing the show. This is Rob Walling signing off from episode 701.